0: ready for today's episode. I am very, very excited about it. Before I tell you a little bit about it though, have you listened to the last episode with Stu Hynek? Now, Stu is a Wall Street Journal cartoonist. He's a legendary marketer and he's an author and he talks about exceeding 100% response rates on marketing campaigns. So think about that. That means if you contacted 100 people more than 100 people would respond, and that is just mind-blowing to me. And he talks about how he did it by ignoring the experts. Fantastic episode. I encourage you to listen to it. And uh, and let me know what, what you think about it. But today's episode, uh, shifting gears only slightly, we've got Dr. Srikumar Rao. And Dr. Rao is uh, a bit of a legend. He, he is actually an extremely highly rated lecturer at a couple of the world's top business schools, And he has the highest rated program on Mind Valley, on top of a a lot of other accomplishments. And he talks about really the idea that we are creating the life that we experience. And he dove into some really key principles for me uh, that I really enjoyed and got a lot out of it. And the idea that we can have ambition, but not to be defined by it, that we should be investing in the process. But not investing in the outcome. And that is a very important distinction that I think gets lost so many times. And it's one that, that I'm still working on. How do I really apply that to my life? And he shares the idea that our ideal life is not something that we find, we don't trip over it, but rather it's something that we assemble. And He goes into a lot more, but for me, just as I was taking notes listening, those were the ideas that stuck out for me, and those are the ideas that I'm trying to apply, and would love to hear about the ideas that you're trying to apply after listening to this episode. So, Give it a listen, and like I say, I'd love to hear what you think about this one, as well as the last episode. Hello, everyone. This is Brock Edwards, and the podcast is, of course, Imperfect Action, and today's guest is Dr. Rao, and... Uh, as I look over your, your bio, Dr. Rao, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. So you, you've done a TED speech, a TED talk with over a million views. You are a very, very highly rated MBA lecturer at some pretty phenomenal schools like Columbia University and the London Business School. And so I think that's just probably a sliver of everything about you there. How do you describe yourself to people?
1: That's an excellent question, Brock. I guess I would describe myself as a person who's on a journey of growth, and I'd like to share what I've learned with as many people as possible in the hope that this could help them.
0: So journey of growth, so what does that look like for you? How has that kind of played out, or how has that changed over the years for you?
1: It's changed over the years in the sense that I'm less subject to emotional mood swings, Uh, a great chunk of my time. I would say the vast majority of my time, I am at peace with myself. I uh, still have ambition and I strive, but I'm not defined by that. And uh, I drink my own Kool-Aid. I invest in the process. I do not invest in the outcome.
0: All right. So you, you just gave me in about three sentences, uh, probably a couple of couple of conversations there. So you had mentioned that you, you have vision. You don't have to strive toward it. I mean, you still want the vision, but you're not getting caught up in the day-to-day of it. And I'm paraphrasing heavily there. No,
1: no, no, that isn't accurate, Brock. You do have to strive and you have to strive mightily. Every time you have a vision of this is the way the world should be, and in all likelihood, in your vision of the way the world should be, there's a starring role for you. So if you have such a vision, then it is incumbent on you to work hard, to try and make it happen. You do strive, and you strive mightily. The difference is that the sense of effort is not there, nor is your well-being dependent on whether or not you succeed. You simply try the level best that you can. Here's a mistake that most of us make, Brock, and the mistake is the following. We think that the benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to achieve the goal is achieving the goal. That is not true. Achieving the goal is an outcome. It's a destination. There are all kinds of factors that can prevent you from reaching your goal. That is totally beyond your control. What is in your control is the effort that you make, the sincere effort that you make to achieve it. So the learning and growth that happen in you as you try your level best to achieve the goal, that is the principal benefit of setting goal and trying hard to reach it. If you actually do reach it, that's a bonus. Be immensely grateful. If you don't reach it, the learning and growth have already happened, so you're ahead of the game. It's a no-lose proposition.
0: So there, there's a, a dynamic here of striving mightily and, and having the, this in you know the, this goal that you're wanting to achieve, while also being at peace with yourself. And, and I often hear people say, and I've said this myself, you know that I I almost don't want that peace because then I feel like I'm not going to put in the effort. So how, how does that play out for you?
1: When you're not at peace with yourself, Brock, it's because you're very concerned with whether or not you're going to achieve the outcome. You're always thinking about, am I there yet? What could happen to derail me? If you accept in advance the fact that you may get there and you may not get there, and it really is not within your control, then that anxiety goes away. And when you try the level best that you are capable of, you find that you get into a kind of flow state where there are tremendous benefits. You feel a deep sense of peace and well-being. And this is so, so marvelous, so magical, that you want to achieve it every time you can. All you've got to do is experience it a few times to say, this is what I want the rest of my life or all of my life to be like.
0: How do you choose a goal? I So you'd mentioned that uh, you know it, it's actually kind of kind of the journey that achieving the goal is just the bonus. It's who you become along the way in the process. Um, you know, we, we've got infinite number of options in front of us. How do you advise that people decide on which direction they want to go in?
1: That's a very good question. And I have it many times, Professor Rao, I want to be really passionate about what I do. And uh, I find that I'm not. How do I find my purpose in life? How do I find that which energizes me? And the short answer to that is you don't. You don't find your purpose in life. You don't find your goal by seeking for it. You look internally and let it manifest. Manifest. There is a wonderful poem by Rumi, something to the effect that when you run after what you think you want, your days are a furnace of anxiety. But when you sit still, then that which you are seeking finds you. And there is a great lesson here for those who are ready to listen. So what happens is most people think that you know, I want this, and this could be, you know, how much money you make, uh, what kind of person your boss is, how much you travel, how big your office is, and a whole bunch of parameters like that. And the basic thought is, if I get all of these, when I get all of these, I will be passionate about my job. That's dead wrong. Passion exists inside you. It does not exist in the job. This is so important, I'm going to repeat it. Passion exists inside you, not in the job. And if you don't find a way to unleash it within yourself, right where you are, you're unlikely to find it outside. So the way to develop passion is to put your full dedication, your mindful dedication into what you are doing now. And as you do that, you will find that even relatively distasteful tasks become not so distasteful and some of them even enjoyable. Given that as a background, you start looking at your life and find out what are the things that you do that you enjoy, you really enjoy or kind of enjoy and figure out a way by which you can increase that component in your life. And as you figure out a way to increase that component in your life, there are two stipulations I make. Number one, you've got to do something to make that happen every day. And number two, whatever it is you come up with has to involve learning on your part, has to push you beyond your comfort zone. And if you do that and, uh, let's say, make it a project a month at a time, you'll find that in a relatively short time, maybe a few months, uh, your job and your life will both have been transformed.
0: You know, I I tend to think, uh, I think the way passion is often presented is, you know, almost a, this epiphany moment. Uh, you know, the heavens part, the light shine down, you, you go, oh, this is what I want, this is my purpose in life. But it, it sounds like it's more of uh, an evolution over time. Am I understanding that yes. correctly?
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, when I was teaching at business school, I used to have an exercise called the ideal job exercise. I call it the ideal job exercise, but it's actually an ideal life exercise where I have people envision what they would like their life to be like uh, X years in the future. X is generally five years and uh, write it down in as much detail as possible. And, uh, you know, they'd go ahead and put down all of the parameters they wanted. And what I would eventually tell them is that your ideal life is not something that you find. It's something that you assemble like the bits of a jigsaw puzzle. And one day you wake up and find, you know, the ideal life I was thinking of, I'm in it, as opposed to I'm going to discover it tomorrow. You're absolutely right. You built it up in bits and pieces and put it together it's like you're assembling a giant jigsaw puzzle
0: that you know, that's 90 degrees different from <laughs> how we typically think about it the, the in it versus um, discovering it uh, you, you know yeah. so I'm trying to get my head around that that mind shift of that that the life is already there that I'm more um, e- evolving it recognizing it building it as I go uh, versus stumbling across it, that, that it's something external that, that I find. Um, where, do you, where do you find people tend to get tripped up um, along this journey to, to their purpose?
1: Uh, generally what happens is persons try to define success or persons tend to define success based on external metrics, both external metrics that they think are important and that people around them think are important. So you think in terms of, I want to become CEO. I want to have a certain income level. I want to have a house that's this big. I want to belong to these clubs. I want to be known and recognized by these people or this set of people. All of these are external indicators. Very few of them actually think in terms of I want to get up in the morning and feel at peace with myself. I want to feel that I am contributing to the well-being of this particular community that I belong to. I want to see that I am making a difference in the world. Most of the time When persons say, I want to make a difference in the world, that is important, but more important is that they want to be seen as having made a difference in the world. In other words, it's all about themselves. So whenever you are in a position where you are being driven by external metrics, you are going to live a life of anxiety and by and large, a mediocre existence. It just comes with the territory that's where most people get hung up.
0: Well, how do we get beyond that? Because that, you know, the external is typically easier to measure. We can hang a number on it, we can put a job title to it, uh, where we live, you know, all those things are pretty easy to measure. The internal things are a little bit a little bit trickier when we think about setting goals for our lives.
1: No, actually, I'd like to turn that around, Brock. I would say the internal is easiest to measure. Because they are your feelings. If you are observant of your feelings, you know how you feel. So there is, it's, it's easier, easier, easier than you think it is. Most of us don't look inward and that is the problem. We're so caught up in wanting to be something as defined by the world outside that we never look inside to say, How am I feeling now at this instant?
0: Well, how can we best look inward? Is there a particular exercise or a particular approach that works? In
1: fact, in my programs, this is one of the foundation exercises. And what I have people do is. And I have them do it for at least a week, but it's best if you do it for you know several weeks at a time, and it's a lifelong practice. Examine what's going on between your ears. You have this thing I call mental chatter, which is an incessant voice that is constantly goading you, comparing you to others, and uh, beating up on you. You know, the kind of thing that goes, why am I not accomplishing anything today? Uh, I'm a lazy bum, I'll never get anywhere, look at Jack, he's so much more successful than I am, you know, he's successful because he sucks up to the boss, and, you know, I'm too proud to do that, so I'm never going to do that. All of that stuff is called mental chatter. You have a whole pile of that going on in your head all the time, and you're not even aware it's there, because it's so much a part of you that uh, you kind of go accustomed to it. It's like an unwelcome relative who's shown up at your house and you can't throw him out. Pay attention to your mental chatter because that is what is running your life. We're all living in the matrix. We think we're living in a real world, but we're actually living in a matrix. And this is not a matrix created by an alien civilization out to enslave us. We created it with our mental chatter. When you start becoming aware of your mental chatter, Brock, that's the answer to your question. When you become aware of it, that's when you start looking inward rather than outward. I say I want to become a CEO. Is this something that I want intrinsically or is this something that I want because I have been conditioned into it and there are all these other people who are cheering me on and they want me to be CEO because it enhances uh, their life in some way. As you start becoming aware and start asking those questions, you will find that your experience of life begins to change.
0: So, I've never heard it put that way before, Dr. Rao. And, you know, just the idea yes, we all have, you know, mental chatter, the the monkey mind going on. And, but the idea that I guess I've always thought of that more as a distraction versus what's actually running things.
1: It is actually running your life. Let me me give you an example. One of the real powerful lessons of the Buddha is the parable of the second arrow. Have you heard about that?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Okay. The Buddha was talking to one of his principal disciples, his name was Ananda, and said, Ananda, if an arrow were to hit you in the arm, would it not be very painful? And Ananda says, yes, Lord, it would be very painful, and if, this, if a second arrow would have hit you exactly where the first arrow hit, would it not be even more painful? And Ananda says, yes, Lord, it would be even more painful. And Ananda, uh, then the Buddha asks Ananda, why then do you shoot the second arrow? And uh, that's probably a little puzzling to you. So let me tell you a story to explain it. Uh, there was this woman who had a teenage son and he turned 16 and he got his driver's license. And one day he came up to his mother and said, Hey, you know, a bunch of us are getting together and I want to go. Can I borrow the car? And of course the mother says, No. And she says, Where are you going? I'll drop you there. And he said, No, no, you don't understand, Ma. You can't be there. I have to go by myself. And the mother says, Okay, you know, you can take a cab or let's figure out how to get you there. He said, No, I have to go in my car. Don't you understand? And he begged and he pleaded, and you know how teenagers are. And the mother gradually, you know, found uh, herself giving way, and she took all kinds of promises: no drinks, right? No, 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 mother, no drinks. And you're going to come back by ten o'clock. Yes, mother, I'll be back by ten o'clock. So reluctantly, she finally gives him the car key, uh, car keys, and of course he goes up there, promptly forgets everything, has too many beers, and uh, is coming back late at night when he gets into his ac- gets into an accident and has to be operated on immediately. And the mother is with him through the night, and in the morning when he's in the recovery room, she dashes back home to have a shower, get changed, and go back to the hospital, and a best friend calls at that time. And the best friend says, what kind of a mother are you giving your inexperienced son the car keys? You're not a mother, you're a murderer. Now, you're shocked, right? You're shocked that a friend would call up and tell uh, her this at uh, such a time? But you'd probably be less shocked if I said it wasn't her friend who called and said that. It's what she told herself. That, Brock, is the second arrow. It's bad enough that her son was involved in the accident, telling herself that she's a murderer and beating her on herself herself does not make the situation any better. Those are the second arrows. And the important thing to note is the second arrows are always delivered by means of mental chatter. Whatever situation you are facing, your mental chatter about that situation makes it at least an order of magnitude and probably two orders of magnitude worse. Well,
0: then with the mental chatter, do we quiet it do we refocus it how do we how do we have it running our lives in to our advantage versus to our disadvantage
1: that is actually a very simple thing brock you cannot quell your mental chatter you may be able to refocus it to a certain extent but by far the most powerful tool to deal with your mental chatter is to recognize it is there and observe it most of the time, you do not observe your mental chatter, you become your mental chatter. And when you become your mental chatter, it's like a wild horse, it'll take you where you where it wants to go. When you observe your mental chatter, you create a distance between you and your mental chatter, and it no longer has the capacity to take you willy-nilly where you don't want to go. Which is why so much of my program is devoted to making you understand that you have this demon, this, this inebriated monkey inside your head, and become aware of it rather than be carried away by it.
0: Well, well Dr. Rao, you, you've mentioned the, the program that, that you have, and how did you develop that program? Well oh, first off what's it called oh. we haven't we haven't established that but after after you tell me the name then how did you develop it
1: It's called creativity and personal mastery and I actually dev- developed it because it was part of my journey of growth because I was very unhappy with my life the way I was experiencing it and essentially what I did is I took the teachings of the world's greatest masters I stripped them of religious cultural and other connotations and adapted them so that they were acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. I've taught it in many of the top business schools in the world, at Columbia Business School, at London Business School, at Kellogg, at Berkeley, at Imperial College, and it's been among the highest rated and most popular courses in those schools. I now teach it privately in New York Lon- and London, and I also have an online version of that program. And as I said, this is a program that will profoundly change your life. And if it doesn't, we both failed. And the reason I can make that statement with such confidence is because of where I draw my material from. These are the world's greatest masters. They completely understood the human predicament, and I have stripped their teachings of religious, cultural, and other connotations and adapted them. That's why I can make that statement so confidently. And it does. I receive emails from all over the world from persons who tell me that uh, what I've shared with them has really made a huge impact. And many say it's completely transformed my life.
0: You know, you, you mentioned that this is a compilation of some of the greatest teachings and the question that comes to mind is just, you know, if this has been known throughout the ages, uh, passed down by, by the great masters, why don't more people know it?
1: Uh, you have to be ready to, uh, receive it, Brock. It's like the, if you read, uh, the purloined letter, uh, by, uh, uh, I think it's by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I forget the author. Anyway, the secret is out there in plain sight, but people pass it by because they don't know that it is relevant to them. Mm -hmm. And I find, by the way, that uh, a lot of persons who have taken my program come and say, Professor Rao, so-and-so, you know, really needs it. And my experience, by and large, has been that those who really need it will never take it. I can't explain it. It's, there is some blind spot which prevents them from seeing that this is what they need to straighten their life. I find that the persons who benefit the most from my program are those who are very well adjusted, extremely successful, want to become even more so. They find that there is a spiritual dimension to their life which is important to them, but they don't quite know how to access it. Those are the persons who make progress by leaps and bounds when they take my program.
0: So you mentioned that you're teaching it privately now. You have an online version. Um, I believe you're doing some sort of version of it through through Mind Valley even right now. Um,
1: Absolutely. In fact, I just learned that my quest with Mind Valley is the highest rated program they've had. Period.
0: Oh, congratulations!
1: Thank you. And, and also, uh, by the way, Brock, I do personal coaching.
0: So your personal coaching, how does that typically work? Is it the same type of person that, that does well in that? Um, tell me a little bit about because every coach works a little bit different.
1: The same type of person does well in that coaching, but my coaching is somewhat different from what people understand as coaching. Normally, when you say, oh, I need coaching, you're thinking of a specific something that you want to improve in. So if it's in sports, you might say, gee, I need to become better at tennis. I want to improve my forehand. I'll get some coaching. Or if you're an executive, you might say, you know, I want to be better at team building. Let me get some coaching. Uh, I don't do that kind of coaching. If you had to look, in fact, I don't even like the term coaching. I prefer the term friend, philosopher, and guide. So if you want to look at it historically, consider Alexander. Alexander was a willful child, and his father, Philip of Macedonia, didn't know how to deal with him. So he asked Aristotle to talk to his son. So Aristotle and Alexander began a three-year relationship, and you can bet your boots that Aristotle didn't tell Alexander how to be a better swordsman or what type of formation you need to use for a particular military situation. They talked about philosophy. They talked about uh, inspiration. They talked about how, how, what do you want to accomplish in your life. And uh, the sum total of that made Alexander what he was and uh, enabled him to eventually accomplish what he did. So that's the type of coaching I do. We have unstructured conversations on a wide variety of topics uh, topics, and I'm particularly interested in who are you, what makes you happy, what do you think is your purpose in life, where do you want to go, where do you want to go, where you think you want to go, and persons find that it truly is transformational, and it helps them in innumerable ways in both their business and their personal life.
0: And does that transformation tend to happen in, in, a, in a couple weeks, six months? Does it vary by person? How, do, how, does that, how does the structure piece of it work?
1: The, if a person is ready and seriously engages with me and conscientiously does the assignments and exercises I share, change happens very quickly, within a matter of weeks. And if they continue, they'll be completely transformed in a year or less.
0: Well, before we wrap up today, so um, I have several questions. Before we wrap up today here, Dr. Rao, uh, is but is there anything that I haven't asked you that would be important for people to know?
1: Yes, Uh, it is important for you to know that it is possible for you to live a life where you come radiantly alive every day. That as you go through the day, you can literally fall to your knees in involuntary gratitude with the tremendous good fortune that has been bestowed on you, where there is joy every day, a deep sense of purpose. Yes, as long as you're in the human predicament, stuff happens, there will be serious illness and death, there will be financial reverses, there will be career setbacks, there will be serious illness and death. But you will deal with all of these things as appropriate, but you will deal with it from the space of deep well-being such a life is possible and you can achieve it that's a message that i would like you to convey to every person you can
0: very good well where can people find you where can they find your course where can they find you if they're interested in coaching
1: if they're well the easiest way is to go to my website and that's www.therainstitute.com T H E R a o they can also email me and my email is srikumar.rao at the rao
0: excellent and one of the questions I, I always like to ask people is you know you've spent most of your life helping others as you figured this your, your own journey out and then share it with others how can people help you what would your ask be of the listener
1: I think what I would really love is if your listeners explored uh, my website, bought my books, and actually did the exercises in the books. I have two books, Are You Ready to Succeed, by uh, published by Hyperion, and Happiness at Work, published by McGraw-Hill. And both of them have many exercises in them, so wonderful if they actually practice it and see what a difference it makes in the life thereafter if they want to go on a further journey i'd be delighted if they either reached out to me and or encouraged others to do so
0: excellent and of those two books is there one that you would recommend starting with or does it matter
1: It depends. It really doesn't matter because both of those books have uh, a great deal of material. Happiness at work is probably easier to read because the chapters are small and I don't go into the theory behind why what I say works. I give them exercises and have them work at it. If any of your listeners are in a position in a company where they can say, this sounds wonderful, I would like my company to experience it, I encourage them to reach out to me.
0: Well, very good. Well, this has been fantastic, Dr. Rao. I I, I love the way that that you've thought about things because it's made me think about things and approaches it from a a slightly different angle than than I'm used to. And um, I I, I love that, that that kick to the head that makes me rethink what I think I know. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Brock. And that is exactly what I'm looking at. When you said it's different, your attitude was, I have to think about this and see how it makes sense. In other words, you're open-minded. A lot of people would shut down at that point and say, that doesn't drive with what I think. And therefore, it must be not true. And those are the people, and there's an awful lot of them out there who I cannot reach and would not be an appropriate person to work with me.
0: Well, very good. Good distinction there. Um, Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Brock. And can I wish you a terrific day?
0: Absolutely. Thank you.